Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today I got to talk with Zach Neal, Dean of Students at Harding University. I asked Zach about the spiritual challenges college students face, and in the course of our conversation we focused on a few things. As we talked, we kept coming back to the importance of listening and being present with others. Whether in a ministry setting like I find myself in, or in an administrative setting for Zach, the importance of genuine connection cannot be overstated. I think this is a timely reminder for us when so many of us are starved for regular, meaningful connection over the last year. And we'll get to see how this plays out in the lives and spiritual challenges Christian college students face. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe? And maybe share us with someone you think that might find this beneficial. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Zach, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate your willingness to sit down with me and talk for a little bit about the spiritual challenges that college students face. But before we get into all that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do at Harding, how you got into that role? Uh, yes, sir. So um, this July will make uh, 15 years that I've been at Harding. Uh, I was in that time frame. I've been director of campus life, uh, assistant dean of students, and then this past eight years uh, served as a dean of students. Um, my undergrad is in uh, Bible and religion here from Harding. Uh, and then my grad work is in education. And then my doc work is in higher education. Um, and so I, uh, I served at a congregation in the Toledo area uh, before coming back to work at Harding. So I only had about a three and a half year period where between being a student at Harding and then coming back to work at Harding. Okay. I, so right off the gate, I, um, I, I want to ask a question that I think will actually get us to the things that we wanted to talk about. But uh, I, had, I had either not known or had not remembered that you had a Bible degree from Harding, um, just for the sake of uh, kind of helping me place you in a historical context, when did you graduate? Yeah. So undergrad was 97 to 01. Okay. Uh, and right. I stayed for a year and a half, work on master's from Harding. Uh, and then I left and I came back and um, doc work is through University of Arkansas. Okay. All right. Very cool. Um, so the reason why I asked about that is because I wanted to ask this question. What does a dean of, well, let's back up just a sec. What does a dean of students do and how did your Bible degree help prepare you for that or did it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one, one part of why I enjoy the work that I'm in uh, is because it's pretty different every day. Um, some of the things that are just standard to what's expected of me is most of the time a dean of students is known for enforcing a handbook. Uh, and obviously that is a part of uh, the role. Um, there's four assistant deans uh, also on the team. And so um, I meet with them on a regular basis in the different areas of campus life, residence life. Uh, that involves residence halls, housing on campus, uh, a chat sort of thing. So as far as the daily nuances of Harding, that's the role. Mm -hmm. um, the daily picture uh, looks uh, probably six of eight hours. I'm in a conversation formally with students, um, meaning they've made an appointment or I've called them to talk. Uh, sometimes it's talking about fundraisers uh, for their uh, service group or social club. Uh, sometimes it's they didn't want to go to a counselor 
but they just wanted to talk to somebody for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so kind of a mentor relationship. And that's, that's probably my favorite part uh, of the opportunity to be here. Um, then there's obviously the, the part that nobody likes of any job. It's kind of the paperwork side of things. I have to make sure that we're following all protocols, federal laws and that sort of thing. Um, when people ask, because uh, it's a pretty common question, because typically a Bible degree and then you go into administration, it wouldn't make sense other than it's harding. And so, and sure, for yeah. me, it fits because uh, I'm, I'm really not trying to be a dean of students. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that I've reframed what ministry meant. Um, coming out of college, I just always assumed my, uh, my paycheck would come from a local congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would get to do then some short-term mission work, whether that's over summers with youth group or whatever it may be. That's just kind of what I had in my mind. Um, and doors that opened uh, lent themselves to a lot of youth ministry opportunities. I did have some uh, preaching opportunities. But since then, even though I came back to work here uh, in 06, um, I've only had one year of my life where I did not have some type of formal arrangement with a congregation uh, in some capacity, whether that's outreach or youth ministry uh, or preaching. Uh, and so I, I do a, a session uh, outside of Circe, a smaller congregation. And there's that itch is always there. That mm-hmm. part of uh, opportunities that God's given me. Um, but specific to the question related to a Bible degree and then being at Harding. Uh, the textual part of my Bible degree, I, I think, is helpful in, in life, period. Uh, no matter what you end up doing for a paycheck is how I would word that. Uh, but the ministry pieces and the counseling pieces of my degree, um, I wish I had even more of uh, because I'm just working with people. Uh, it sounds I don't know if people think it sounds like a big deal or not a big deal to say you're dean of students. Before I was dean of students, I thought, oh, wow, man, yeah. Okay, that sounds like a big job. Well, then I get into it, and yeah, I'm not bored, and there's plenty of stuff going on every day. Mm-hmm. But I'm just working with people, and they just happen to be mainly 18 to 25-year-olds. And I have really uh, grown to just love this age group. Um, mm-hmm. They have the world right in their hands. Uh, sometimes more confidently than maybe they should other times, not as confident as I think they should, but everything is before them and Lord willing, they've got 50, 60 years uh, on this earth. And so the passion, this job, it didn't change uh, just because now uh, my title is an administrator. Um, You know, we're, we're told our whole life that we're all ministers. But somewhere in our psyche, we feel like you, you have to be called a, a whatever type minister at this yeah. congregation type mm-hmm. thing. And so it took me a little while to develop. I kind of thought I would just do this for two or three years until whatever opened up uh, with local church work. Um, but that didn't happen. And it's also because I didn't look because I really enjoyed what I'm doing. Yeah. So that I mean, that really is- serves as, as a perfect segue into the bigger topic that I wanted to discuss with you. And I, I really didn't even know how, um, how well suited you would be uh, to talk about this. I, I had, I had known you uh, based on your administrative expertise and work, but um, 
your work with local churches and things along those lines I, I was not even aware of. And so that, that brings us to what we were wanting to talk about. In your time there at, uh, at Harding as an administrator, what would you say are maybe two or three of the main issues that Christian college students face at a, at a private Christian university? We can, we can be specific like that because that's where your experience is. Sure. But what do you think are some of those spiritual challenges that, that Christian college students face? Um, this question is one that I, I wrestle with even myself because I want to make sure that uh, I provide the most resources as possible for this age group. But I really think what catches a student off guard the most is that it's less different than what they thought, meaning okay. um, this age group, whether you go to a private school or a public school, um, you can find what you're looking for. Mm. Um, and there is uh, a little bit of a mindset, uh, if you send your child to a private school, uh, that they, they'll just take care of spiritual formation. They just provide that for you. It is true. The resources that you have at a place like this, you're not going to find another place on earth unless sure. they are another place like this, right. uh, with this type of resources and the mm -hmm. amount of people that professionals, within the realm of counseling and ministry, and they're teaching their topics through um, uh, a worldview that is specific through God's lens and scripture. Yeah, you can't recreate that without it actually being that. Mm -hmm. And so those resources are there. But if you want to go to a private school and still be a part of what the world is doing, you can. And so I think that, in my opinion, one of the biggest struggle, if not the biggest, one of the biggest struggles, if not the biggest struggle is letting your guard down that thinking just because you're in a really great environment that you draw closer to God. Mm -hmm. You have to be intentional with that. You have to actually make the decision because God's there. He's, we already know that he, he's not moving and he is open for that relationship and he's calling us to, to join that just because you go live in a residence hall on a Christian campus doesn't automatically make that happen. And I've talked to students and I, I want to remind the, those listening that I'm not a counselor. Mm -hmm. um, I've just 15 years of talking to students uh, is my main experience. And so we'll use the word expert very loosely. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also a dad. Uh, I have um, an 18 year old son, a uh, 15 year old daughter, 12 year old daughter, and a three-year-old son and a one-year-old son. So I've got the, the spectrum here and I don't, so starting this fall, I'll, I'll have a college student that's also lives in my house. So I'm, I'm really shooting from uh, a perspective that is what I've watched and what I've seen and who I've talked to. And I'll, I'll tell you in a couple of years, if I change my answer <laughs> yeah. after I have somebody that lives in my own household sure. of that age group. Yeah. Um, but depression and anxiety and those type of topics stem so much from students trying to find their value in a place that they, it seems their value should be obvious. Like it comes from God. You're grounded in Christ. Uh, we're not, um, we're not known for what we do for a living type thing. Why are you stressing out so much about career and 
why are you worried so much about who you're going to marry? Like just trust. Well, the depression anxiety that I see is um, you overthinking that and thinking that this should feel different. This should feel so natural. So why am I struggling with it? Mm-hmm. My opinion is that's the only dart that that Satan has left is to try to confuse you. And we know he is uh, he's he's the the master of confusion in that. Uh, and he is going to spread that lie. And that lie is that it's okay to tell God that I'm sad or I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm worried. And it's an interesting, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word in that context, but this, this friction that's created of, but I have so much around me. Everything is so good. And there's so many opportunities and yet I'm still struggling. Mm -hmm. And so then it almost makes it worse than if you were at a public school setting, because then you would think, well, but yeah, I've got so many other, there's so much around me that it seems like I'm, uh, would be distracted more. Well, a private school setting, it is going to be intentionally different. And there's some wonder, there's wonderful public schools and wonderful Christians working in those environments. And we Mm -hmm. need that. And so I don't want to give an implication that direction at all. Right. Uh, but to think just because of an environment uh, that you're going to have a spiritual formation that's different than somewhere else, I think that that is um, that's a misguided thought that can be detrimental. Yeah, it it seems like a, a lot of folks get to a school like Harding or you know really any other school that that takes its faith tradition very seriously, like Harding does. Mm-hmm seems like a lot of folks will get to a school like Harding and they almost are expecting maybe four or five years of church camp where it's going to be one spiritual high after another. They're going to, you know, they're going to be on fire for God. And what they don't realize, uh, like you said, is that um, it, it is going to be, you know, in, in some ways harder. You are going to be able to find, or I think another way to put it, would be you are going to be tempted right. in ways that are very similar to what you would find outside of a place that either doesn't take its faith tradition as seriously or has no faith tradition. Um, people, this is something that I don't think is unique to Harding, but I remember hearing this a lot as a Harding student and then later as a student at the graduate school in Memphis, hearing about the Harding bubble and how, um, <laughs> and for those of you who are watching, is that, you, you'll see me on the screen, but Zach smiled as soon as I said that phrase, Harding Bumble. Um, the, the thing that what a lot of folks don't realize at a school like Harding, um, and again, this isn't unique to Harding, you can find what you're looking for. In some instances, you might have to find a little, look a little harder, right? You might have to look a little bit harder. But when folks are coming with one set of expectations, and they see, uh, they look around them and they get confused, like you were saying a minute ago. They get confused about, well, I, I, I thought life was going this way. My, my parents or my grandparents or my aunt and uncle or whoever else, they, they started dating sophomore year and they were engaged senior year and married on graduation day. And like, I, what is wrong with me? Why is that not happening to me? Um, I, I can see how that would 
would really sow a lot of doubt, sow a lot of confusion. And then from there, a lot of other more nefarious things can come in. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. And it's our, and this is true in relationships. This is true in uh, plans for career and that sort of thing. Our preconceived ideas tend to be what creates confusion later, as, mm-hmm. as opposed to stepping in, uh, in God's will of, I'm, I'm going to look for these opportunities, praying about situations. If it's pure and it's holy, it's faith and prayer, then it's a good decision. Make that decision. And it's okay to change your mind later. If, if it's pure and it's holy and it's bathed in prayer, then God has given you that freedom to choose. And there may be more than one thing that you could be doing. And this doesn't sound very romantic. There might be more than one person that might <laughs> be somebody you could marry. Right. We, I, I say we, I think just humans and nat- by human nature do this, but this age group, especially, man, it's, it's an overwhelming burden because they don't want to mess it up. We want, let's do it right. Well, that's good. And I like that mindset and I want us to be successful too, but there might be more than one way to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And when I say might, there is. And I, and I think my own life has shown that for myself that I mean, I, I'm 42 years old. I'm supposed to be preaching at a congregation where that is my primary, primary source of income. I'm, I'm the guy that's doing the funerals and the weddings and I'm doing visitation and I'm a part of outreach and I'm assisting the youth program as I can. Like that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what a minister does. Mm -hmm. The one that I was looking to be. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not what I do. Uh, But I minister um, in a different way and perhaps, and sometimes a more powerful opportunity. Um, I was a little bit down uh, first two years here not because of the job and not because of the people. It was great, but I was thinking, okay, when's that? I need to probably get back to doing what I, what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And uh, get a real job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so my, uh, I really think the spirit and my thought process uh, spoke to me in that um, the passage of go into all the world and great commission. And um, I, I reflected on that. And as I thought about it that week on, and I, I'm, I'm looking over here because as if you can see the couch that's in my office, um, on my couch and during that week, I had probably 15 states and three or four countries represented in conversation about some things that were really important, spiritual, ministry, mission-minded. Uh, a couple of them weren't even Christians opportunities and i thought wow god you brought the world through this door i didn't even i I got to skip the hard part of trying to figure out how to get around like this is fantastic (laughs) and it was in that moment that i you know you never can say what tomorrow holds uh definitely but i i stopped looking i haven't i haven't looked for a job opening since that day that it just kind of hit me i thought okay yeah. I got it, God. I, I see what you're saying. And it's made me more intentional with everything that I do, that every single conversation when I'm at my best, because I'm not always at my best, but when I am, every single conversation becomes an opportunity for growth. And if I can somehow get an 18 to 25 year old to start doing that, oh man, that would be wonderful if I started that thought process 20 years ago. <laughs> 
Yeah. Some things just have to come with living. And I, and I know that, um, but those aha moments of a student when they get it, Oh man, that adds how many every year that I feel like I can be in this kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. That you mentioned that it wasn't a very romantic notion to think that there might be, that there might not be a, the one out there. Right. Right. I, man, right. You know, I, I grew up in church and, uh, you know, since, you know, since I was a newborn, I, I've been in church all my life, you know, for, a, for, a, a, you know, an easy 35 years. And um, I remember in youth group, you know, that was in youth group was a time when I was in high school in the, uh, in the early, uh, early 2000s. And so that was when, you know, I kissed dating goodbye was really big. Right. Um, and, you know, now just a year or two ago, we've, you know, for those of you who don't know about the author of that book, uh, I encourage you to go do a little bit of research. He's, uh, he's had a rough time of it here recently. Um, and other books along those lines. And there was always this notion that, well, there's, there's just the one out there. And, you know, that, that's, that's one reason why a lot of folks do end up choosing to go to uh, private Christian universities because they want to find the one but I think what you've uh, what you've touched on here is something that I hope a lot of people, not just at private Christian universities, but even people at state schools that are actively involved in some kind of campus ministry, which, to be quite honest, what you do sounds kind of like campus ministry, just you don't have that title. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that's, yeah. That, that, I think that that's when I'm having fun, probably. That's the best, <laughs> that's that's the best piece yeah. of it. Yeah. But um, when you have um, there, there's a um, there's an expectation, there's a reasonable expectation of growth, of spiritual growth and maturity when you start, when you go to college, because that is probably not in every circumstance, but that is probably when you experience the greatest deg consistent degree of freedom that you as an 18 plus year old have ever experienced. When you start experiencing that kind of freedom, what comes with that is some pretty serious responsibility to, um, to, to make good choices. And many students want to make good choices, but they end up getting to a point where they're so concerned with making the single right choice that it's either one good choice or a hundred bad choices. And I think what you've mentioned here is something that's really valuable, honestly, not just for college students, but for a lot of folks. If you can find a way to, if you've been praying about it, if you've been looking at it, if it's pure and holy, like you said, you know, there might not be that just that just that one job out there. There might not be that one person out there. There, God, in His uh, in His wisdom and in His grace, might give us free will to to pursue an option, and provided that we're really bathing those decisions in prayer, I think that that's something that um, that can really be kind of freeing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly when it was in college that I figured that out, but it was, it was really freeing. It was liberating thinking, oh, maybe there isn't just one person here. I could probably find the best choice. Sure. But if I'm, if I'm really hunting 
if I'm really following God here, I, I will be okay. It's scary to trust and obey like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Zach, you had, you were talking about the folks that had come and sit on, uh, sat on your couch. And one of the things that you had mentioned earlier about um, kind of what you do besides enforcing a handbook was talking with folks as a mentor. That's something that I, um, that I've been thinking a lot about recently uh, because I, it was, um, I think it was somewhere around 2016. Um, I was still in my doctorate and was a, had just started a ministry position, part-time ministry position at a, at a church up in Kentucky. And I was, I was feeling a lot of pressure to do well because um, I was also a new dad and um, had st- actually started an adjunct teaching job. Like a lot of things just all kind of came right at the summer and fall of 2016. And I was, I, w- I remember praying and being frustrated that I didn't feel like I had the mentoring opportunities that I needed. And um, I, like a couple weeks after that, that prayer time, a, a younger friend of mine who had been in a youth group where I had served as a youth intern called me up and said, hey, Kevin, I was talking with some friends and we were all realizing the need for mentors. And so I was wondering if you would be my mentor. And like, he, he just had the guts to ask me straight up. Right. Would you be my mentor? And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> I see what you're up to now. <laughs> OK, <laughs> let's 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 do this. In your role as uh, as uh, quote unquote campus minister, as dean of students, how talk to me about this, the importance of this mentoring role that you get to play for some students, maybe not necessarily in a formal capacity as mentor and mentee, but talk to me about maybe the, the felt needs you've seen from from students or from from people in this age group. Can, can you can you share some of your experiences about being functioning in this capacity as a mentor figure and kind of how like how, what some breakthroughs you've seen from students and things like that? Yeah, and, and some of this, it lends itself to almost more of a counseling response. And I'm glad you've talked to, to Stephanie. She's mm-hmm. she's the professional in that, that right, arena. Yeah. yeah. Um, being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry mm-hmm. is really my motto every day I, I try to abide by uh, that scripture and i found that really listening became more of i was i was a better mentor when i listened more than i spoke mm-hmm. but growing up in my mind i had envisioned that a mentor is who you come and you sit at their feet and just listen and I'm, and there is definitely that, that part of the relationship, but early on, uh, especially in disciplinary situations, I felt the need to really explain the situation and how somebody should feel or how they should respond and get a plan for moving forward. And I, and I think it all went fine, but I feel like I have uh, developed it sounds funny because uh, it's almost like the less that I do, the better it probably is going to be. And I said, well, just tell me about it. Tell me, tell me where, where you were at in that thought process and what do you think will come of this? And then just be intentionally quiet 
Now, some of those are captive audiences and I get that. Yeah, sure. Um, but even the ones that aren't, I approach them very similarly in that, uh, that uh, open-ended of, well, just tell me, tell me what you were thinking at the time, not why were you thinking that? Mm-hmm. And you, you, that word structure, even though you might be meaning the same thing, it, it changes it. Uh, and so I had a conversation just yesterday that I, I don't know the formula of how to have a mentor. I remember my experience uh, whenever I was in college, I remember calling Dr. Norton, uh, Howard Norton, and I called him and I said, I don't, I don't have any questions for you. I just want to talk to you. How much time would you be able to give me? And he said, well, how about two hours? And I said, that sounds great. He said, well, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And we sat down here uh, in the student center. Signs is now across from the post office. And we sat down and I said, well, I'm not sure what to even ask. I, I just know that I'm supposed to be getting good advice from godly people. And I feel like I'm going to miss that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, and so, and he made it very easy on me. And he talked for most of the time at least kept the conversation going. Uh, and so in that experience, I thought, okay. And he asked a lot. When I said he talked most of the time, he, he asked thought provoking questions mm. and then remained quiet. Uh, and so we talked together, had a great discussion. And I, I have taken that. I need to go back to him and let him know that whether he knows it or not, he modeled for me what I saw as a really good way to do this. And that there are some relationships that you get to know them really well. You talk to them every week or even more than that. And you know them the rest of your life type. And there's students that they still will still reach out to each other. And that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Then I have some students that we only talked twice, but I felt like it was very productive. Uh, and I felt like there was um, almost this freeing from me of that. I don't have to have a wow factor moment to be a mentor. Mm-hmm. I don't have to think, man, I said that perfectly because most people don't carry themselves in a way that I'm, I really have some good advice for people. They probably should be talking to me about this. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think once it dawned on me that I don't probably know any more than, than you when I'm talking to someone that's in their early twenties, I've just had 20 more years to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's learn from each other. When I realized I can learn a lot from someone that is half my age, it made my mentoring experience richer because then what I gained from that conversation, I actually use in my next conversation. And that came from how God worked through them. Uh, and so it's, it's trendy and it's a buzz phrase to talk about intentional conversations and sure. being in the moment, being real. But that's, that's true. Uh, but a lot of it has to do with just being quiet and let a student maybe even say something that you think, what? I don't, that's fuzzy logic or I don't think so. Let, let it be. Just let it be fuzzy. Let it not make sense. Let it be whatever. And then just listen. And, and so many times people will talk a circle back and actually almost correct some things that they may have even said. Yeah. And I feel like growth in that is just has a patience is probably the biggest word within that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen that to be true in the, um, 
and the mentoring relationship that I have with this uh, with this former uh, youth group member now. He's I mean he's in law school now, so he's he's not that kid anymore. And right. and he and I both both laugh and we appreciate how we are both not the people we were, you know, back almost ten years ago. It's amazing what just listening to someone will do, and not even listening for the sake of. Um, of getting in your next point, like just being quiet. So you can then jump in and say, okay, well, here's, here's how it really is. But actually being able to, uh, to listen for understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach a Bible class on Sunday nights uh, over zoom. And uh, we uh, just recently wrapped up a series on Proverbs that we did. And I had, I had Dr. Ed Gray from Harding school of theology counseling professor over there. Yeah. A- and he talked to us about, about the value of listening, because the whole class, uh, you know, kind of the, the big metaphor that I used to kind of frame the class was uh, listening to life, a conversation with the Proverbs. And it was, it was absolutely a delight to hear, to hear uh, Dr. Gray talk to us about just the value of you know, listening for understanding. And like I said, being real or intentional conversations and stuff like that, you know, that kind of, kind of trendy, trendy language to describe being, being a, being invested in someone, you know, um, it has been such a, such a benefit in my ministry, like how you've described, it's been a benefit in your ministry to learn how to listen well to people, even at the expense of maybe somebody saying something that's kind of strange and you think, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't go that route if I were you, but like you said, they oftentimes kind of bring it back around. I, I imagine that Jesus did a lot of that kind of listening and, you know, with the disciples, we get the moments where Jesus actually said, you know, okay, here's what the kingdom of God is like. We don't get a lot of the moments where Jesus scratched his head and thought, all right, guys, we got a, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, but we're, we're, we're going to make it. Um, so that's, uh, I appreciate from my own personal experience how I think you and a lot of other folks are being able to see that it doesn't require, a, you know, it, it doesn't require a, a certain, you know, resume or something along those lines to, to serve in some type of mentoring capacity. It really requires an ability to listen, an ability to be available. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And for that age group, I think that that's especially valuable. Zach, can we talk about the second thing that I wanted to, to mention? And what role does social media have in shaping the typical Christian college student's spirituality? Being a mentor is about, uh, a, 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 really, to some degree, about positively influencing someone. I think it's fair to say that social media has a lot of negative influences, Mm-hmm. on folks it can we dig into that for a little bit yeah absolutely uh and maybe i'm <laughs> admittedly more positive than than i'm supposed to be in in some things <laughs> um so i i talk a lot to two extremes uh one is uh, our student leaders that are organizing things and they're the forefront of things and then i have talked to some students that maybe it's they're they have a lot of growth to to come along. 
And so the middle 80%, maybe I don't have as much formal interaction. That's where I wander around campus and strike up conversations with that group. Um, but there is so much good being put out on social media too, mm. that I don't think we give it enough credit. Yeah. Um, and it's back to you find what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I spend probably a fair amount of time in conversation with is that, um, you know, whenever I was 20, I, I would have a thought and then I would move on and nobody, I might mention it to a buddy or two and we move on. Now you have a thought, you're likely to post it in some format or tweet it out. And then all of a sudden it's there and you've got 500 more people than you even know that have seen your thought and whether or not you even are able to take it down at some point, a lot of people are going to remember that. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times people see us, uh, we are the equivalent of what we posted. Right. And so that's one thing that I try to um, remind students uh, that I, you know, I'm, I'm old. I'm only a Facebook guy. I have a, HU Dean team Instagram page just to throw out some like drawings or something. If somebody was to know an answer to a question, um, everybody sends me screenshots of comments via Twitter. So I don't have my own Twitter account. So I'm definitely getting old when it comes to what I, what I use. And maybe I need to up my game a little bit in that, but I try to model that. Um, I, I try to only talk about goofy things, food, family, and then something that's really encouraging. And it's fine for people to, to put their thoughts out there. And I think there's a lot of good conversations that come from it. But that's one thing that in talking to students, they almost believe that they've become defined by what they posted. Interesting. But they yeah. rarely put a lot of time <laughs> into their thought that they just posted. So how that that's the equivalent of me just having a passing thought. And then all of a sudden somebody then treating me according to whatever I said, that can be very positive if it's good and it's holy and it's encouraging, but topics that are sensitive and you just voice an opinion, all of a sudden somebody's written you off as whatever extreme uh, that they don't see as a, as a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to overcome that. Uh, And then unfortunately um, anxiety and depression are two topics I'll always come back to those become real because then you feel like people are looking at you differently and maybe they aren't, they, they, maybe they didn't see it, but you start assuming then that everybody heard about what you said or did, and maybe they did, or maybe they didn't, but you, you start acting as if they did. I've had students tell me, well, I'm nervous to go out of the office because everybody knows I'm in here. And I said, well, who knows you're in here? Well, as they, talk about it out loud, probably nobody. And there's enough people in and out of student life office for 75 reasons that nobody's going to know, but we, we create our own scarlet letter. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think Satan thrives in that Yeah, because I've had students return even from a disciplinary situation uh, and they're nervous of what people are going to think. And then they've come back to me sometimes. I don't always get to have this full circle conversation, but they realize that either very few people even knew or actually people weren't being judgmental. They, when I say they don't care, they, they didn't care because they love you. They, they, they let it go. And so 
the social media piece, and I'm not a guru of social media, and I'll, I'll always admit that, but I think it's unfortunate that we, we hold people so accountable to what they say. Now, at the same time, I coach people up of like, look, that's your resume. You have a walking resume online. You want people to think a certain way. You, you have a lot of uh, authority on that. Uh, it's not just a negative personality interaction or a social interaction. I mean, you posted it. Well, I just, I, I just, right when I thought it, I just said it. Well, that's not a great plan. Um, you're, you're communicating right. to a ton of people. Yeah. Uh, so I lead with, I think there's a whole lot of positives, uh, that are there and can be found, yeah. but the negatives, they just hang. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing and maybe not fair. It only takes one or two negatives to erase 50 positive things just because uh, we gravitate towards train wrecks, uh, unfortunately. And especially with a group of folks like college students who are already trying to figure things out. When they get to social media, um, I mean, it's, it's one thing to grow up around something, grow up in a culture and students these days grow up in a social media infused culture. It's a totally different thing to actually know and understand the nuances and how that came to be and why things are the way they are. Um, You know, I was like, I'm I'm not an expert. I'm a minister, but I'm not an expert in ministry. You know, just like I'm not an expert in, you know, if you were to take a look at me and check all the boxes, okay, well, he's, he's tall. He has a beard. You know, he has a doctorate. Like go down that list. I'm not an expert in what it, what it means to be all of those things, even though I am all those things, students who are, are growing up in this social media infused environment, they're already, they already have so many other questions and they already have so many other um, concerns about just life and to have an avenue like social media that allows you no more of a filter than are you physically capable of typing a message and hitting send? Right. That's it all can be dangerous. Yeah. Can be very dangerous. Um, I do appreciate though how you've emphasized the positive aspect of social media. And for those of you who, who aren't on Facebook, uh, following Zach is a lot of fun. Um, I, I I'm excited to be 42 and uh, and go to Sonic with the same frequency that you do. or just you know things like that that you post on there and i think man like that's that's the kind of stuff that if i had more of this on my facebook feed than you know whoever said whatever about whomever that i i would be happy if my more of my facebook feed looked like the kind of things that you share um and so i i I really appreciate how how I, i think what you're doing is really trying to embody embody the gospel they're on a platform like facebook i mean that's that, that's kind of how it uh, how it looks um talk to me about this uh, idea though we how a lot of folks think that they're the equivalent of what they post why do college why would a college student um feel that way what is it why is that something that they get their identity from what do you think? Um, you know, I need a psychologist to help me out here, but I've had students take posts down because they didn't get enough likes in a certain amount of time. 
Wow. Uh, or they wow. didn't, you know, there wasn't enough hearts hit or whatever it may be. And they're like, oh, well, then that people must not like this. So I'm going to get that out of there. They want that immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. That's probably not different than someone that's even my parents' age. It's just that my parents' age, that's not their first response is to put something on social media. Uh, and so we're still all just people. But like you said, they've grown up in this is what they know. This is a this is a part of how you communicate is through social media. And so you almost feel like you have to have some type of um, uh, presence. But in uh, I've had uh, conversations with students that they posted something silly, but when they what, but the topic was serious, but they were totally joking. And I, yeah. I know them well enough that I feel like that's true, but they didn't communicate that because not everybody watching it knows them. And so they became known for what they posted when they're, if, if this had been 25 years ago, it would have only been the, the guys on the hallway that saw it, who all knew each other. Ha ha ha. That was funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're just being a bonehead or whatever else. And you move on and it, it didn't identify them any more than just they're a goofy guy being silly social media. You do not have the luxury or the opportunity to explain yourself mm-hmm. uh, as far as what was the context, what was going on behind the scenes? What was your intent? See if however anybody wants to see it or hear it. Uh, whereas in a personal interaction, I'm feeding off your body language. I can tell you doesn't get what I'm trying to say. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa just a minute before you walk away. Like, oh, let me clarify something here. Yeah. I, oh, I didn't mean to offend you. This is what I was trying to do. You don't usually get that. Um, you get you get one shot at communicating. That's why I'm, I respect those that work in that industry that are wordsmiths to make sure that they're trying to communicate as clearly as they can. So it can be powerful. But the the danger and what I meant by identity is for somebody to be willing to take a post down just because they didn't get enough likes, they were looking for some type of chemical release that they were going to gain by those pats on the back. Uh, And I think that's very real. Yeah. It definitely seemed like they're looking for some kind of affirmation strange that they would feel like they need to get that affirmation from folks that from a lot of folks who probably aren't around them. Yeah. Why? I, I think one thing that might, uh, it took me a while, especially in, in college, um, because I, I, I was fortunate to have a pretty good friend group, but a couple of times in college, I had just some very negative interactions with, um, you know, with, you know, fellow classmates. And I, I, I would take it pretty hard. And what I gradually realized was, the people who knew me the best still liked me. They still chose to hang out with me. They still, they still thought I was worth their time and energy. And at, uh, at a place like Harding where it's, um, it's easy for you to be busy every night of the week with club intramurals, you know, this and that devotional service project, you name it to have friends who consistently want to be around you and like being around you multiple nights a week. That in itself was affirming, Mm -hmm. not, you know, 
not all these likes and and upvotes from from folks I've never met before. It's interesting also being talking about being defined by what we post that you know when you're talking about you know back when you were in college and even when I was in college I mean Facebook just started when we were um when we were there um when I was in college uh, I think it was like 2006 or so Facebook uh, 2005 or 2006 Facebook became available to Harding um you know the guys in your hall would know you you know, maybe the guys in your club or whatever, they would know you. And that was like, those are the people who knew you best. And so if you said something goofy, okay. You know, like two years later, you know, senior year rolls around and you bring up something dumb that you said. And as a sophomore, it's like, oh yeah, that was me back then. I'm not that guy anymore. It's almost like we can't grow past our social media fails these days. And I think that's really detrimental to um to, to anybody's but especially to a, a to a college student who has who is as concerned with social media as a lot are we've got to be able to learn how to forgive ourselves without necessarily expecting others to uh to forgive us first does that make sense yeah definitely and i think you know you talked about the they are interested in the social media and not every single student of that age group or this of the 18 to 25 year old mindset, but the majority for sure. So there's all, there's two options, either asking and training and modeling and mentoring, whatever word you want to use, uh, quit putting so much value in that mm-hmm. or reframe how you look at it. Um, and both of those are sort of the same answer, but either um, change the way you're doing it or stop putting so much value into it. But if you if it may be impossible to convince somebody that social media isn't supposed to be as valuable as they see it. And so if they're going to be on it anyways, and that is going to be a means that they use for communicating and identifying and that sort of thing. Well, then we, we just have to see it as it's almost like it's it's its own person now. And then let's, okay, well, how do we approach it in the most positive way? Yeah. How can we use it for the most glory as opposed, don't run away from it. Those are your two options, either quit using it, get off of it, or let's reframe and let's let's use it to, to glorify God and to make good decisions and forgive yourself, like you mentioned, of if, if you weren't doing that two years ago, don't go on a witch hunt trying to delete everything that you've ever done. Like if you know some things that'd be easily deleted, sure, go do that. But don't let's just let's forgive and move on. Our identity's not in that. This is who I am now. Uh, and uh, the the more that we can do that, I think that um, self-esteem won't be so attached uh, to social media. But we you know, we hear those terrible scenarios where people take their own life because of something that was said about them or something like that. It breaks my heart because it's, it's the furthest thing from where we should be uh, gaining our value. Uh, But if, if that's the case, then let's pour some energy into how to use it as opposed to just considering it something you stay away from. And then all you do is can uh, increase the amount of guilt that someone has that continues to use it. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely social media use. And particularly its propensity for creating depression and anxiety 
within everybody, but especially within college students, that is directly related to what we were talking about. Um, you know, one of the main issues, main spiritual challenges facing uh, facing college students today. Um, I'm not a um, I'm not a counselor either. I I took a counseling skills class for my yeah. master's of divinity, and in that I, that was a. It, in a rare moment of clarity, that was a brilliant move for me to take that like the semester before I got married because I learned how to listen. <laughs> I learned how to like actually listen to somebody, which was absolutely huge for, for me. Um, but I've, I, I can't help but think that there's a connection with learning how to learning how to forgive ourselves and working through uh, at least depression to some degree. Um, learning how to uh, how to trust in uh, learning how to be more spiritually mature and trusting in God could I think help us begin to overcome uh, anxiety and um, you know and two things that you mentioned earlier that uh, that college students uh, face let's ask this as we kind of begin to wind down uh, this afternoon let me ask uh, ask this what do college-age Christian students have to offer the church? What do you think? This answer is one that uh, I actually hinted towards in a chapel talk recently. And this sounds kind of uh, interesting coming from someone that works with college students and has read the books about generations and how different generations think and that sort of thing. I think if we will all uh, from young to old, just take a, take a moment to pause on the differences in generations. And just for a moment, think about the fact that we all are humans and we all share a lot of the same experiences. That what did you offer the church if you're 70 years old now or 40 years old now or 30 years old now? What did you offer the church when you were 20? Mm -hmm. what, what did you think that you offered it? Well, in my opinion, that's still being offered. Uh, and, and just from uh, my own thought process, some of those things are uh, that energy and uh, the ability to think outside the box. Uh, the 70 year olds scared the fire out of the 90 year olds 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, the 40 year olds scared the, the 60 year olds 20 years ago. That's a great perspective. I like that. Nothing, yeah. nothing has really completely changed mm -hmm. our ways that we communicate we just spent time talking about social media sure. yeah that yeah. didn't even exist mm -hmm. ways that we do it the the vehicles by which we are talking about those have changed big time but you go back and read in the early church uh, and you think about what was going on and uh, you pick the city corinth or wherever it may be Maybe not Corinth. There's a lot, a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff going on. But um, Ephesus, there, yeah, yeah. Let's pick somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that needs quite as much work. Right. Yeah. Um, so my first response to that is we're not quite as different as as we might. Yeah. Be be. Uh, I think we've been pushed to think that uh, from cultural conversations of mm -hmm. how much different and youth of today and this generation, and we use those kind of phrases, it can almost start making us come in with our guard up when we're talking to someone that's young. Um, 
For me, in my conversations, and so I think this would also lend itself to a conversation specific to the church too, is that uh, we have a, a group of people, and this is a positive thing, even though I can choose for it to be negative at times because it's a little annoying, honestly. They're, they ask why, and they ask it a lot. Well, one thing that I do think is, is a little bit different, and maybe it's just my personality. Maybe it's less of a generational thing, and it's a personality thing. I didn't question people, quote, in authority. And now um, I'm talking to people that they want to call me Zach. They don't want a, a title. Now, when they ask me, I always say, I don't, I don't care. I really don't care. I said, now, outside of these walls, probably say Dean just so you don't want somebody to think that you're disrespectful. Sure. I don't want somebody to make you to think that. Yeah. But that protects them, I, not your reputation. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, now if I'm at Walmart, I'm probably wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Like, and you call me Dean Neal, I'll respond. I won't think anything about it. That's great. But if you call me Zach, I'm not going to think anything about it either. Like yeah. that's, that's my name. So I, I get that story because titles seem to mean less now than what they used to. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, is it just, I guess, my feel for that. Yeah. Uh, and I, but uh, the positive in that, because we could have the, uh, you little whippersnapper, that's not okay. You need right. to show yeah. respect and they earn their way to that position type thing. And so I get that. Um, but the positive of that is here is someone you, you invite them to the table, they're going to give you ideas. Mm -hmm. You invited me to the table when I was 20. I probably was going to be quiet for a while because I didn't want to be disrespectful or I didn't want to act like I knew it all. This individual, just because they're willing to voice their opinion, doesn't mean that they, they think they know it all. That's what we qu are quick to assume. Of, well, sure. Who are you? You're 20 years old and you're telling me how... They're giving you what they think based on their experience. And if we'll listen long enough, we may just find that they have an idea that we haven't thought of because we've just been plugging and playing for 20 plus years, 40 years, however long we've uh, mm -hmm. been out of that age range. And so um, respect goes both ways. Uh, and sometimes if we feel disrespected, we immediately shut it down. And we don't gain anything from the other party. So this goes both ways. But if I will get past this guy just calling me Zach and I'm dean of students and sit down and talk. And when he says, why for my life, why, why do we have this rule? Well, instead of, well, it's Harding University and we have whatever rules we want. Right. Why not? You know, that's a great question. Do you have some ideas on why the rule might exist? Because sometimes they're. They just, they're being sarcastic, but if they're being for real, I have to gut check to explain it. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, then maybe it needs to change or at least discussion about it. Sure. I don't think anything's different in the church. Now I'm not talking about open for discussion of, are we going to follow the scripture? Or not? <laughs> uh, right. But there's, there's a yeah. lot of traditions that are just that. Mm -hmm. And man, we've hung our hat on them and it, it may not matter if we have pews in that building or not. And I'm talking, I mean, there's a wide range of topics. And so yeah. I, I, I'm still, a, I'm a conservative person. I, I'm not a, well, yeah, they used to do that in the early church. I don't know why they did. Let's just do something different. I'm not, I'm not losing my mind on this topic. Right. Um, but I do think 
we need to relax a little bit. We, we need to listen more. We need to take a deep breath. And we also need to be willing for someone to give an idea that we don't even agree or like, but let the idea set long enough that we can actually have an opinion about it. Because if I, if they start talking and I go, oh, are you kidding me? We tried that already. That was, that didn't work. Yeah. Well, for one, you may have just shut down that relationship. Right. Uh, but for two, you might have just cut the legs off from off of something that was about to be beautiful, uh, but you didn't give it any time. And so um, the older I get, the more that I realize that uh, people remain people. Uh, and so be less worried about how old someone is and more concerned about what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I like that. Listening definitely lends itself to relationships. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I like what you said. There's, I've got a four-year-old and every morning he uh, comes into our room and uh, he's, he's ready to tell me, you know, all the things that he wants to do that day. Some of them are pretty wild. I can't tell you how many, how many times he has wanted to plan his birthday party with Spider-Man and Captain America and, you know, all just all these other folks. The other day he, uh, he told me, um, that his favorite superheroes were Spider-Man, Captain America, and Michael the Archangel. Um, <laughs> like, and, he, and, he's, and he knows what he wants to do with all these yeah. guys, too. I'll come but, to that birthday party. I, yeah, exactly. Right. That uh, we, uh, you know, based on, uh, based on what Scripture says about uh, how much of a boss Michael is, we know who's not going to be there. Absolutely. <laughs> but we, um, he, he's got all these ideas of things he wants to do and, and like things he wants to do for, uh, you know, for, uh, for my wife, um, his mom and, and like what, what we can do for her, for her birthday and, and stuff like that. And I've, I'll, like, I'll play along. I'll listen. I mean, he's four. He, he's some of us just funny, but usually there's something in there where I can think, okay, well, we might actually be able to do something kind of like that. Let's, let's kind of run with this a little bit. I, I mean, it, it's not, you are not at all the first person to say respect is a two-way street, but I, I'm confident that a lot of us forget that when it comes to dealing with, uh, dealing with college students. I have found that one of the things that helps me, at least to some degree, be a little bit more willing to listen to either a four-year-old or somebody in high school or college is that... Man, I remember what I was like back then. I remember the boneheaded ideas that I had and you know how I had a lot of passion and, and interest for uh, for doing things that you know, would actually probably had turned out to be bad ideas if I didn't have somebody to say, "Hey, let's see what let's see what we can take with this. Let's see where we could go with this. Maybe there's something to that." Right. Yeah, that has been absolutely uh, useful. And that brings us back to what you were saying earlier. It's like, okay, you know, you have 80 year old, 60 year old, 40 year old. What do you think, what do you remember having to offer back then? That's a, uh, I, I like that. It feels like to me, the root of that kind of thinking is humility. It, do, can you see that? Do you think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, you know, one thing that I'd tell the 20 year old is, now, when you're talking to your grandparents, they've been 20 before. 
you've never been 75 before. Right. So, so <laughs> show them that respect. You don't yeah. know what it's like to live 55 more years yet. They do know what it's like to have lived 20 because they did it. Mm-hmm. And their memory of that is probably better than what you think. Mm-hmm. And so I'm don't, don't let anybody out there, you know, I'm, I'm not jumping on the, uh, just the 20 year old wagon uh, i'm defending us old folks sure. too a little bit but, <laughs> that's <old> uh, folks. <laughs> yeah that's right last thing i wanted to mention zach if you've got a couple ideas uh, which by the way this whole time it has been tough for me to to call you zach because of that same reason you're, you're in a position of authority you've earned that title of dean <laughs> you know and this whole time i've been fighting off calling you dean neil um, that's funny but uh, I think you corrected me about that like a year ago when I first I did when I, I did. first mentioned trying to get together with you sometime last year um, and it, it didn't end up working out. I was like, and don't call me Dean Neal anymore. Just call me. Zach. <laughs> I appreciate that. But let me ask this. How can adults kind of beyond typical college age? How can we walk with college students? What what? what's maybe a couple of things we could do to help them grow in their faith. I think one of those things is listening. Like you've, like we've been right. talking about back and forth. Is there anything else that you've seen to be especially effective in your, uh, in your ministry as an administrator? Absolutely. Uh, I think this is an empowerment thing uh, and it's a trust factor. Um, definitely listening whenever somebody prompts that and contacts you, mm-hmm. but, uh, and don't, you know, as I will tell someone young, don't don't try to change the world all in one day as a mentor, someone that's lived on earth a little bit longer. Don't try to influence every single 20 year old, you know, but give some prayer into some thought into who who's two or three, four, maybe five, not more than that. Because I don't think we could do a good job that are in our circles that are in that age group that I could contact and say, hey, do you have time for coffee? And I'd like to just pick your brain a little bit. And maybe ask them questions similar to what, maybe what you've asked me about their own generation and their own age group or what they think. Um, I think that that's important. I think that goes a long ways on many levels. And then also, um, there's a question that we ask uh, students that are here for trustee interviews mm-hmm. uh, that are trying to receive a trustee scholarship. Uh, it is, what is something, what's a leadership quality that someone has seen in you and then capitalized on that by asking you to do something. We, we frame that for, to this high school student. Yeah. So I've been thinking, well, well, I need to do that more often. I need to look for that young person, whether it's high school or college or just out, where I say, hey, I've got this idea. Here's something that needs to be done, or here's a thought that I have. You think you could run with that? Mm-hmm. And then trust them. And maybe they might do it a little bit differently than what you had in mind, but it's, if it's not immoral or unethical, you might just need to leave it alone. Um, but I think being proactive in, in those conversations is probably the first step. And those might be two ideas within that response. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of statistics that talk about um, where students go after college and they don't really align themselves percentage wise. The statistics would are not in our favor that they're sticking with what we would consider uh being members of a church mm-hmm. at a congregation. Yeah. And so I, I think that it's important not to just um, trust that, well, they've got lots of good influences out there. Take it on a personal level of, you know what, I'm going to, that 
core group that I just prayed about and thought about, I'm going to really engage in a conversation with them. And uh, even though I just said, you know, ask the coffee and ask them questions, this is hard to do because we always want to capitalize on the moment. And our definition of being intentional is maybe making sure that there's this major takeaway. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe something that's, um, it's just for fun. Like just spend some time together yeah. and allow that to, to shape where you go, as opposed to like feeling like you have to interrogate uh, someone because uh, because I know that sometimes they kind of feel like that yeah. uh, that they're just we're just picking their brain all the time which is there are some settings for that so sure. all of my answers lend themselves to a, a relationship approach get to know somebody be there for them these aren't wow factor answers and I know that but I think they can have wow factor um, benefits for sure yeah last thing I want to ask you and it's related to this um, have you found in your experience that college age students are generally interested in this kind of relationship. I mean, I'm 35. What college student wants to hang out with me, right? Yeah, I I think, you know, the definition of hanging out, what I define that as probably is not to the extent that they may want. Um, But a a, a coffee for 30 minutes or an hour Mm -hmm. with a heads up of, you know, hey, I just wanted, I think uh, what you did last week at such and such was awesome. So I just want to talk to you about that and then let that conversation go. You have to be aware of what they're involved in, what they're interested in, that kind of thing. Find, find a door and just say, Hey, I want to just ask you, I want to hear about that experience. Um, I heard that uh, you're at Harding or I heard that you go to OC or I heard, I want to just talk to you about your experience. Most of the time, all of us really of any age, we don't mind talking about ourselves when asked, Yeah, uh, like, tell me about, and especially if you know, it's something that they're involved in that they enjoy, mm-hmm. but typically those conversations grow into other, other things. And when I'm talking to young people, I'm always telling them, man, when you're home for break, find a chance to talk to your grandparents and just ask them questions, talk to them. So I, every chance I get, I'm asking both sides to do the same thing. And I, I think there's just some really, uh, biblical and rich uh, growth that comes from that. Yeah. I, I like that intergenerational approach. And um, that reminds me of a conversation I had earlier in the podcast with, uh, with a friend, Luke Dockery. He's the youth minister, youth and family minister at Cloverdale Church of Christ there uh, just yeah. down the street from Harding's campus. Uh, Luke's done a lot of great research of his own and, uh, and uh, using other youth ministry, uh, youth ministry experts uh, to, to really come up with a kind of a, a comprehensive philosophy for youth ministry. That is essentially like what you said about the, imp- it, it emphasizes the importance of, of intergenerational relationships, of listening for understanding, of building relationships with people who are older in their faith. Um, you know, obviously, you know, obviously we, uh, I mean, you know, just the way the culture is today, you need to be careful, you know, college students and, and his high school students, which is who Luke works with. Um, yeah. You want to, you want to find good, honorable folks to be in relationship with. Yeah, um, absolutely. But for, for this purpose of really discipleship, 
which is essentially, I, I, I think, what, um, what you and really any, any faculty member, uh, any staff member at a school, like Harding and other places, discipleship is what we're ultimately interested in, finding, finding these ways where we can establish some kind of common ground with, um, with students, where we can encourage them in, uh, in ways that are godly, we can help them run with godly things that they, you know, that they feel called for or are equipped, gifted to do. Um, that, uh, you know, like you said, relationships, listening, not necessarily wow answers, but might uh, might give us wow, uh, wow type results. Yes, sir, for sure. Zach, I, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I'm encouraged. Um, Especially, especially this last portion that um, you know, college students and, and folks that age they are interested in these kinds of relationships. It's tempting to, it's tempting to believe negative stereotypes about people who are different from us, and different doesn't always mean that they have to look different. They can just be different age, different generation. But I have been encouraged by our time together today. Zach, thank you so much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Bye bye.